What's up, guys? Thank you for stopping in. My name is Adam McRoberts, and this is the Do Big Things Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. We got your back when it comes to ultra marathons. We can help you with crewing or pacing. We also offer personalized coaching or customized training plans. We can help you get to the start of your big things, or we can help you get to the finish. We can coach you up, or we can crew you in. Whatever your big things are, we want to help. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. My guest today is the founder and CEO of a company called FMS Running, which stands for First Mile Sucks. He's an ultra runner, he's a running coach, and he manages to juggle a family in there too. He's got a super cool story and I'm excited to bring it to you guys and he is coming up in just a minute. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we are rolling. Um, I am here with Ron Maver from First Mile Sucks Running. Dude, I love the name of your company, First Mile Sucks. You got to tell me right away, where did you come up with that? Thank you. I, I appreciate it. So uh, story goes, I'm living in Hilton Head, South Carolina now, but I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, so I, sense, the goes, I sense the accent. Yeah, it's pretty thick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's right outside Manhattan, and when I used to work in the city, I worked with a lot of guys from Brooklyn, guys from Long Island, guys from the Bronx for the past 20 years. So I kind of have this mesh of a little bit of everything. Okay. <laughs> so I picked up Brooklyn along the way, Bronx, definitely New Jersey. I like it. It sounds so, tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a lot of times, you know, as, as you're running through the winter, the mornings, and it's, you're hitting, you know, I ran all winter last year. And the year before and the year before. So I, I've run all through the winter and uh, I hate wearing pants. So most of the time I, I just run through shorts. I think in the past three or four years while running, I've maybe wore pants four or five times. So anyway, long story short, as those winter months get in and you leave to go on your early morning runs and it's dark out and it's, it's crappy weather and it's snow or just sometimes it's bitterly cold. And I always started, I'd be like, man, this sucks. <laughs> It sucks. This first one sucks. It sucks. And then I would I would warm up and, and warm up and, and you know, by the second, third mile you kinda of get your your groove on. Mm-hmm. So it got me thinking, uh I wonder if somebody ever said I know everyone has said the first mile sucks, but I'm like, yeah. I wonder if anyone had ever had the idea to trademark it and make it into a viable slogan mm-hmm. yeah. and company name. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up, no one had done it and uh I went ahead, I copyrighted it. And uh, began the business. I it really wasn't a business at the at the time. I was still working as a stagehand at the Metropolitan Opera in Manhattan, mm-hmm. which is what I did for 20 years before oh, this wow. life. Okay. So that was just up until uh, COVID, which kind of coincided with my plan anyway to 
to leave the industry. Mm. My plan was to leave it in August and it ended up just being moved ahead a couple of months due to the cancellation of live performances. So long story of it is that during the, I had just written it down, I jotted it down and it was something I kept working in my head and I was working on the side. But I did come up with the name just by reciting that same line in my head over and over when I started running. I was just like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. <laughs> and it sucks. And I, I thought it was catchy and it's something that everyone can identify with, you know, no matter if you've run for a day or 20 years, that first mile just is working out the kinks and it sucks. That's true. It's a good mantra because you're right. The first mile usually sucks, but then after that you start warming up and, and things get clicking. And, and I've heard many people say it uh, in races and uh, just running with buddies. Like, you know, I've heard people say the first few miles suck, the first mile sucks. So yeah, man, I dig it. I like it. Yeah. The yeah. first few miles sometimes do suck, but I figured this had a better sound to it. Yeah, it for sure. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. So how did you end up in South Carolina? So, you know, every, every year, myself and my wife come down here for vacation for like the last 10, 10 to 12 years. And uh, we take a week down here and it's uh, so much different from Manhattan, which, you know, although I lived in New Jersey, I spent most of my time in Manhattan and, and we were always in and out of the city. I grew up maybe like nine miles outside Manhattan. Mm. So you, you kind of feel like you're intertwined with the city, but the pace down here was so chill and relaxed and, and we loved it. So every year we came down, it, it got a little harder to leave. And uh, we started exploring things. And I had been working a ton of hours back up north in, in the entertainment business. You're routinely doing 80, 85, sometimes 90 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like life was passing me by that. I wasn't seeing my kids grow up. I wasn't uh, seeing what I, I, I wasn't around enough when I needed to be. Yeah. And my wife was super supportive. Uh, my father-in-law worked there, so she grew up in the industry. She knew what it was about. Um, but I felt like I was missing out. I was, you know, and my bosses were great, but I was always asking to take days off to see my son play soccer, see my daughter play sports. And it just became, as my life shifted, I, I re rearranged my priorities and, and where I really wanted to be. So we had talked more and more about possibly leaving and, and my wife knew I was getting pretty burnt out on the city life. And I, I really wanted somewhere where I could just relax and, and be near the ocean and mm. have warm weather and just a real chill vibe. Yeah. So we came down last year on vacation and with the idea to, we came down with another family, we stayed for a week. Then we extended our trip here for four days to look at real estate and, just get a feel if we like the extended stay. And we split the second week up from four days here and three days in Charleston. Mm. So we went up to Charleston, we looked at it as a possibility also. And when we left uh, Hilton Head Island, which is where I live now, it just felt like this was where we belonged. I mean, my wife was crying over the bridge as we left and uh, we had just resolved that day that you know we were ready for a change, we were gonna relocate and um, this is where we want to be. It's just, okay. it, it felt home. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah. yeah, that's a big change. I mean, um, and you have kids, right? Yeah. So I have two kids, my, my son, Nathaniel's 13. Okay. My daughter Reese is nine. Yeah. So that was, that, that was a big ask of them. Yeah. That's a big change. Yeah. How are they doing with it? Uh, good. You know, I, I think, I think because I got them involved in, in, uh, sports and they're involved in activities, it makes it a lot easier for them. Mm -hmm. You know, my son 
uh, plays travel soccer. So he was able to make friends through there. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter has friends inside the development that we're in. Also, she's, she plays soccer. She switched now. She's playing tennis. So they're, within the activities, they were able to really adjust well. And uh, I give them credit because they, they took it very maturely. They, they understood why we were doing it. They understood that it may be a step backwards at first in terms of um, financially and, and a loss of friends. But in the long run, I would be home more. Um, as they were getting older, they were missing me more and more. I'm, I, I'm able to eat dinner with them every night, that type of thing. So they've been really great about it. They were so understanding about it. And then I'm not saying because they were my kids, they were both special. You know, we, we talked to my son about it before we moved down. And he only, the only thing he asked was that if we were going to do it, we do it the before he got to high school. He's in eighth grade now. So he asked that we do it before he gets into high school. So he has a year of a smaller middle school to make friends and then go into a big high school, which it didn't end up. I mean, he's only in school twice a week now, and it's harder and harder with the COVID restrictions to, mm. to make friends. So yeah. in hindsight, you know, it, it's been, it should have been a tough move on them, but they've both been excellent about it, and they're, they're both happy, and, and they love it down here as well. That's cool. That's cool. Life's an adventure, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and and this coincided with a whole bunch of changes in in my life and in, in general. Really, like what kind of changes? So, your career, uh, right? My my career was one, but really, this goes back like three or four years in terms of in terms of my overall mental health and well being, mm. and and what uh, ultra running did for me, and and it's a long story of how I got here. I, I thought um, it all began. Yeah, let's get into ago. it for sure. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I, I did, I was out of work with a uh, shoulder injury. I was out for about eight months. I uh, had rotator cuff and uh, torn labrum. Hmm. So during that time, it, it gave me time. I was home for the first time in a while. And um, through that, I was having, I was just having, problems in general with depression, anxiety. And, mm. and these are issues that I've had for many, many, many years and never addressed them. Well, I can whether relate. It, yeah. 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 Whether it be through, um, I was never violent, but through frustration and anger, your immediate mm. reaction would be to, to jump down someone's throat or self-medication, which involved probably drinking more than I should have, should be and, and dealing with anxieties out like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Little by little, I started changing, and it started off with uh, a sober October challenge, mm. which which I did, and nice. that was yeah, and and that was I really credit that for being a real turning point for cool. me. Cool. Um, it forced it forced me to stop not not forever, but it forced me to stop for thirty days, mm -hmm. and prove to myself that I I could go without drinking for thirty days. That was probably the longest I'd gone in. 25 years, maybe. Yeah. Wow. It was the 30 days. And it, it made me realize that, you know, I could go with it. So I, at that same time, I, I also realized like that was one step. The second step was I had to get myself well. I couldn't live the way I was living anymore. Mm. I mean, I would, I would get up just to go through a day. And my first thought would be, I check myself and I'd be like, all right, I made it through a night. Like I didn't die. I had this fear of dying. That was just ran rapid and I, I go, I get into the shower and, uh, why did you think you were going to die? I, I don't know. It, it was just the way. So 
anyone who's dealt with anxiety knows anxiety research oh, is just in, from the anxiety you know, hundred yeah. hundred different ways. So mm-hmm. the way mine or my physical response to it was mm-hmm. was to have um, a racing heart and I carried pain like in my chest. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I, I did it. That's just the way my body dealt with it. So you know, I get in the shower, I go and I get dressed for work. I I get into my car. And then right away, I would think, did I do something to piss off somebody at work? Did I say something? Did I, did I do this? Did, and I, I start working all these scenarios in my head. And now I'm, you know, on the helix heading into Lincoln Tunnel. And I'm ha- it's not even 9 o'clock. And I'm having a second panic attack mm. that I calm myself down. And this went on all day. Mm. So I, I knew I got to a point where I was like, this cannot, I, I can't exist like this anymore. I, I'm just, I was just riddled in pain. So I sought out therapy. I, I went for, I went to see a psychiatrist just to see if I could do it. Um, I didn't connect with him at all. You know, he walked into the office within 20 minutes. He wanted to put me on um, Xanax and Zoloft and, and lithium and not even really talk to me. It was just yep. it was drugs down my, down my throat. And that's not what I wanted to do. I really wanted to get to why I was this way and, and what, what caused it and what were the triggers. So when I spoke to a friend of mine, I opened up to a friend of mine and it, it turned out that he had also sought therapy and I didn't know that, but he told me, he recommended his therapist who was actually a, a psychologist. So I went, I spoke with him and instantly it was like magic. We just connected. He got me. Um, I still see him every week through the four years. He's pulled stuff out of me. That I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Now through that time also, I started, running a little bit more i had run in the past mm-hmm. <laughs> i had done new york city marathon in 2007 mm-hmm. and i had done it again in 2011 when both my kids were born that was my way of, of signing up and getting back in shape and starting to turn things around and then both times they just crashed and burned after and it, it never lasted sure. and then when i had started again a couple of years ago i, I stepped on the scale i was about 190 so mm-hmm. as a small frame guy i'm 140 right now Okay. I ended up dropping 50 pounds, but through that, as I had gotten healthier mentally, I noticed that I wanted to physically work out again. Mm, I was starting to get out of my funk. I was out of my depression and I attribute to being different steps. First, it was, you know, get a clear head. Then it was get myself right emotionally, which made me eat better, sleep better, and then start running. And it kind of was an avalanche. Mm. that got the ball rolling and an avalanche in a good way. Started running um, little by little. I picked it up again. It, it came back pretty quick. I mean, growing up, I'd always played soccer. So I had some level of okay. athleticism with me. Uh, some, I definitely a, a competitive person, definitely driven when I have my mind to it. Mm-hmm. And that picked up and um, I wanted to do something special. I found this race called Rock the Ridge, which is in uh New Paltz, New York. It was at the Mohawk Preserve. And uh, I ran, I trained for that race. I ran that, that 50 miler. And then that was it. That During that training, I, I just turned a completely different person. Um, I'm not particularly religious, but I equate the running to some form of moving meditation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's, I go out there, I run, I clear my head. I have conversations with myself and um I loved being out on the trails. There was just something so magic about it. Mm-hmm. I loved the fact pushing myself to distances that 
um, inside the ultra running community are not obscene, but yeah. if you talk to people outside of them, they look like you're look at you like you're nuts. And, yeah. and I love the fact that I was willing to do something that other people weren't willing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting comfortable, getting uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And it was, to be honest with you, I mean, I attribute a great part of my success to the therapy, but I also attribute a great part of it to, to the running. And, and it's been the one constant in my life that over the last couple of years that has been able to quell the noises like nothing else has. Mm -hmm. Did you say noises or, or voices? I didn't catch like that. No, noises and voices, but you know, just, just static in your just head. Static. Everything that, that yep. goes through your head. It's just, it's the one thing, man, when I, when I go there and, and it's my time and I, I did that too, because I had learned something about, um, I used to always think that I had to be around all the time. And, and, and if I spent any time by myself, it was, it was being selfish, but I, I've learned that if I'm a better person in the time that I spend, that it's okay to take that selfish time for myself. And it improves the qual quality of the time I have with everybody else. Mm. It's it, it just, it had an amazing impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, I, I love a good story like that where, you know, someone felt like they, that they were down in a hole and really kind of up against it and in struggling with life. Um, whether it's yeah, work, alcoholism, uh, you know, overeating, whatever it is. And then they just have this almost like a come to Jesus moment. You know, I'm using air quotes there and um, you know, they're able to, to, to turn it around, man. So I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, so in order for you to, to kind of make that 180, it was, it was therapy, exercising, eating healthy, getting good sleep. Um, I'm guessing it was all those things. Was there anything else that you threw in there? Uh, yeah, I think all those things are interconnected because as one comes along, you want the other one. Um, For sure. Definitely uh, open communication with people. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um. I had to come home. I had to, I had to have some frank conversation with my wife about why I was the way I was. I had to yes. have, more importantly, some frank conversation with myself. Sure. Yep. About how I was. Mm -hmm. um, I stopped trying to please everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. If I didn't want to do something, I just said, you know, no, I don't want to do that. And I didn't give a reason. And it wasn't anything offensive. Like if I didn't want to go out, no, I don't want to go out. It, mm -hmm. it was just, I I started living for myself and, and really valuing my time and reassessing of, of how I want to spend my time and who I want to spend it with. Um, I had heard uh, Jesse Itzler mm -hmm. who had wrote the book about being with God. And one time yep. he was talking about um, reverse engineering of time. And it, it really spoke to me. It was, so if we live to be 75, um, you only got 30 years left. So that's mm -hmm. not to make it, you know, if you're 45 now, I'm 44, mm -hmm. about to be, about to be 44 next week. Yeah, I'm 45. I only have, yeah, 31 years left. That's not mm -hmm. something to be depressed about. But then I have to assess, what do I have to do in those 31 years? Like, what's on my checklist? What do I, how do I want to spend that time and who do I want to spend it with? Mm -hmm. And and that was a big driving force. I wanted to be around my kids. I, I didn't want my kids to be in college and be like, yeah, my father works all the time. I didn't know him. And, uh you know, I wanted to be a good person for them. I, I didn't want to be the person that I was. Not that I was terrible, but I wasn't my best ver version. And I think I am now. This is the happiest I've ever been as an adult. And and the good thing about it to me is that not so much my daughter, but my son has seen 
the transition. So I've shown him firsthand how, how people could change. And, uh, you know, going back to communication, I had communication with him that I was probably harder on him than I should have been at the beginning that I'm not now. And, you know, even though he's only 13, I've come up to him and I've even apologized and been like, hey, I probably should have handled this better. And now I'm going to do it this way. And, uh, it, it just made for, it just makes me a better person. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, another thing you mentioned was, uh, you communicated with a buddy of yours who eventually ended up, uh, you know, leading you to this, uh, psychiatrist. I mean, just open communication with another male too. Like we, as men are, are taught to keep all of our feelings on the inside and like, you know, I can take care of it. And if, if there's a problem, I should be able to solve it. And, um, you know, women kind of get their feelings out, men keep a man. I, I, like I've always admired the stoic man who doesn't, doesn't talk a lot, you know, but, but, um, that's, what's really helped me too, is just finding like men and guys that are kind of my age into the same thing that I can kind of make as mentors. And, um, you know, we kind of bounce ideas off each other and help each other. But, um, I've been able to find a couple guys over the last couple of years that, you know, I can sit down and they know exactly where I'm at in my life. And I can tell them exactly what I'm going through. And just having that support there is something that, you know, I was almost embarrassed to admit that, that I needed or embarrassed to admit that that would help me. But, um, that was a big one. And just like writing, writing all my thoughts down, like journaling, writing down my goals. That's always been a big one for me. So I mean, hats off to you, man. Like, um, like how bad was it? So, you know, you, you had this anxiety and this depression, you were working like 80 hour weeks when you were living up North. I mean, how bad did it get for you? Um, to me, and the funny thing is I, I hit it well, uh, like you're saying, I mean, I worked, I come from a blue collar environment. I, I worked with, 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 you know, some of the best guys I've known in my life, but some of the toughest guys too. Sure. And, um, it took me a long time to, to even come out and admit to have these issues. It's only within the last couple of months that I found the courage to do it publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm being honest with myself, it, it was to the point that it was dark enough that I didn't think I was getting out of it. Mm-hmm. that it wasn't it was not going to end well for me sure yep not, i mean not i don't think i was suicidal but my i think it would have ended up just just broken in terms of probably divorce in a studio apartment mm-hmm. you know drinking my days away and it was just, i was it was it was bad yeah. yeah way worse way worse than than i probably care to admit to myself sure or way more and way worse than anybody else even knew even my wife yeah yeah. Yeah, man. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll let my mind wander a little bit and, and I'll take it back to, you know, some of the darkest days of my life. And if I would have stayed on that path, you know, and eventually I took a hard right and went a different direction and I feel pretty good about where I'm at now. But do you ever think about, think about that? Like, where would I have ended up? Like, where would I be now or 10 years down the road if I had, you know, you know, like how a ship's, how a ship is uh, moving through the night, but if it only turns one, one degree, then, you know, 20 miles down the road, it's in a, down the you know coast, it's in an t- entirely different spot. Do you ever let your mind wander and, and think about anything like that? Oh yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it factored into even me um, leaving my job. I had, I had a, a good job up North and, and I left the, that area and I left my friends um, 
for the fact of I looked at my life and so I had two options. I could, was I more scared of spending 20 years in that building mm-hmm. or scared of taking a chance and moving down here and spending the next 20 years the way I want to. And when I came to it, the answer was I was more scared of spending another 20 years in that building than mm-hmm. I was to take the chance. I, I never wanted to be, and, and, and what you say about time is true. And I, and I think about time a lot now and, and I think about the way it could have been. And it's actually a steering force for me because I use it as a, a sense of gratitude mm-hmm. of, of how I am and, uh, and, and how good I feel in the morning when I wake up and, yeah. you know, I meditate and then I go on my run and I have uh, these certain rituals and, and I don't take them for granted. I'm, I'm thankful every day, you know, even talking to my kids, I ask them, what's the best thing that happened to you today at dinner? Mm-hmm. Just, just to focus on the positive, which I never did before. It was always, I'd like to pretend I was a, neg- a positive person, but deep down, I, I had a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely 100%. I, I, that's definitely a driving force of, of, of how I live now and, and moving forward. I, I just know that it would have never went well. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, never yeah. Wanted, I never wanted to be that guy who was like, especially when I took this chance with starting this business, Mm-hmm. I just, I had to know, I had this itch. I had to know what it meant. I had to explore it. I didn't want to be 76, 77, 78 years old, you know, sick and being like, what if, what if I had taken that chance? What if this company had taken off? What if I had, had done this? I would have, I had to know, I had to take this chance. I had to know if it would work or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Just being able to look at your life objectively and like, be honest with yourself and, and, and say, okay, I suck at this aspect of my life. Like I'm going to improve this or, um, you know, whatever the case is that that's, that's huge, man. So yeah, I commend you. It's, it's pretty big. So, um, and, and running was a big part of it for you. So like, how did you get into running these long distances? Was it kind of the, like the typical story, you know, marathon, 50 K 50 mile type of thing, or what did that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So as I was saying before, so I run, um, New York city marathon in 2007 mm-hmm. and I ran it again in 2011. And then I had done some half marathons and some road races, but I really didn't run much again until 2017. And when I started running again, it just, um, it went a lot easier this time on me. I was, I was pushing my limits. Um, mentally I was wide open. I was curious to see how far I could take it. And when I, you know, on a training run, when I went 20, mm-hmm. I felt pretty good after it. And then the next day I went, not the next day, but the next week I went for 22. And then mentally on a training run, I did a 50 K which was the first time I had ever run past a marathon. Yeah. And that got me thinking, what if I did 50 miles mm-hmm. and then, I did 50 miles and through that time I always um, had ended up watching YouTube videos and you know like everybody else I read the Dean Carnassus book mm-hmm. I read Born to Run so you always knew about Western states you had you had known about these guys that were doing incredible things on the outside and I remember watching uh, those YouTube videos that of different races um, and it had really started materializing in my head that this is something that you know i saw the camaraderie in those videos i i'm a big fan of uh, jesse kokatek he does a lot of youtube videos he did 
he did the Yeti 100 video. So I, I watched that and that's really how I ended up at Yeti. Wow. The camaraderie of people, um, the fact that it wasn't just, um, you know, when I had run New York, I had run, you had get, you have to get to Staten Island. It's a great race. It's, it's an amazing experience. But the race starts at 10. You had to get to Staten Island between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. <laughs> so, you know, you're waiting around for four hours and it's just that and, and around. And when I went to go run the trail race and it was like, you know, come 10 minutes beforehand and you get to the starting line, everyone's hugging and everyone's happy. And um, there was such a camaraderie about those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just drew me to it. And I just became more and more obsessed with, with pushing the boundaries. And 100 miles is something I always had in my head. To me, it's a special number. Mm-hmm. To to do that on foot is is unthinkable to most people. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's a lot of represent those miles. A lot of representation of life in those miles. Some of the miles are good. Mm-hmm. Some of the miles are bad. Some of the miles are really bad, and you just gotta push through them. And at the end of the day, it's all worth it. Yeah. Yeah, the 100 miler is a, is a perfect analogy for life. There's going to be highs and lows, and um, you just got to learn how to manage those. Um, um, just manage them along the way and, and just keep on pushing. Um, so you did you just do your first 100? Was the, the Yeti yeah. your first? Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so the Yeti was my first. Uh, wow. What, how long yeah. ago? That, that so, wasn't that long ago, was it? No, it was a couple of weeks ago. It was uh, oh, wow. September 27th i think okay dang okay so how you feeling have yeah you been, i feel pretty good have you been running since then or how's the body recovering so it took a little bit um i running it i had just uh it had gone well for a while and then so we got here with a nor'eastern and during that race and the first 12 miles was just rain like <laughs> you didn't know it could rain that hard for 12 miles they were calling it the wedding 100 <laughs> awesome and uh 64 in, I ended up with some blisters, probably like a four inch actually splice in my foot. Uh, my foot just opened up. Uh, um, and then 92 in, my ankle blew up. And uh, it took me a couple of weeks to recover. It took me like two weeks to recover, but I am back and running. Okay. I went, I did some uh, dry kneeling down here, some physical mm-hmm. therapy, try mm-hmm. and get ready. Mm-hmm. I have, um, I was already signed up for a long haul 100. Mm. which is in Florida in January. Oh. But then I also am trying to get ready for uh Georgia death race. Oh, okay. Which was supposed to be in March, but got hit. Uh, it was the week that COVID hit and everything okay. got shut down. Oh. So it actually got pushed to November 7th. Ah, okay. So cool. I'm kind of still up in the air as to whether I'm going for it or now. I'm starting to feel healthier. I, I'm leaning towards just going and, and giving it a go. Yeah. Oh, you should be good to go. Um, yeah, hundred mile or is a is a great training race for the Georgia Death Race, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think. <laughs> oh wow, well that's cool, man. So, um, your first one hundred miler. I'm always curious to hear about this, like all the all the gory details. Like, um, how rough was it? I mean, you know, how did the training go leading up to that? What was your biggest weeks? Do you feel, you know? How did you feel going into it? Did you feel overtrained, undertrained? What was it like for you? No, for, for me personally, I felt real dialed in. I was okay. I had I had tunnel vision for this race, especially mm-hmm. during COVID. I mean, I was basically obsessed with it. I I looked forward to my training every day. I, I was just super, super focused and, and tuned in with it. I thought my nutrition was good. Um, during training, I 
I played some games with myself. I did uh, the longest. I had a hundred mile week mm, in nice. there just cool. to see if I could do it. That was my first hundred mile week. Good. I did uh, ten straight days of ten miles or more. Mm, nice. Again, these were just challenges I had put put myself forth, Perfect. and I I dialed it back a little bit. I was going in, and I felt well rested. I had done um, all my training runs. Like I said, I was I felt good when I got there. Obviously, the weather was a factor. It wasn't it wasn't ideal conditions. It was it was tough, but I blocked it out. The, the first fifty miles were very routine. I had I know that sounds crazy, but I had. A, a plan to to do 26 minutes of running and, and four minutes of, of walking. Okay. I, I, it was heavy on the front end, but I also was looking to try and get as far in as I could during the daylight hours and then mm. deal with it mm-hmm. on the back end. If, if I could average 12 minute miles and then get in that 20 hour zone, it gave me some hours to play with. I, mm-hmm. I would have loved to gone closer to 20, but I, my real goal, I wanted to go sub 24. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, so when I hit when I hit 64, I came in. Uh, I thought it was a problem with my sock, so I I changed socks a couple times during the day. I took off my my shoes, and I took off my sock, and I had about a four inch slice or split in my foot. I mean, the skin was just wide open. So I I taped that up and uh, went back through with it. I, I came in at, at 80. I felt you know I passed my wife. I seen her. I, I felt decent. I said, I'm going to go on the turnaround. I'll see you on 84. Mm-hmm. I came in 84 and that's when I really started feeling it. That's when, that's when it really hit home. It, it's, um, you know, I was dry even on the side of the car. I, mm-hmm. I was completely out of it. I, I couldn't even function. I couldn't drink. I finally, I, I don't know what made me reach for it, but I reached for some watermelon. Oh yeah. That always helps me. me. That felt good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In like a matter of minutes, it snapped me back to life. Nice. Had some chips with that. Now, did you have a and pacer or crew, or just your no, wife? So, I, so just my wife and my mom came up with me. Ooh, okay, that's rough. And, I mean, first time crew, Tyler, no pacers. Yeah, you okay. know what? I, I didn't. I didn't want a pacer. I, okay. I wanted to go out. I had this. I wanted to go out this at my by myself. I felt that this was something I worked for. Um, I did a lot of my training alone. Some of the training, you know, I have friends down here now I run with, but a lot of my training I did alone. There was just something about it. It was, I felt like it was me versus the world. And that's the attitude I needed with it. I didn't want any crutches. I, I wanted to go at it alone. I don't know why. Sure. But that's just the way I felt about it. I cool. I had this fear of what if I was out there and, and, and something wrong went wrong with my pacer. And then, that, and, and that sounds selfish, and, and I know that, but there was just something about this that I had to go do this, and I wanted to experience everything by myself. I didn't want, you know, I talked to a bunch of people during the race, and we shared miles, and I've connected with people through Instagram on it, and, and they were awesome. But when it got down and dirty in those 84, 85-mile range, I wanted to be able to just, like, be in that zone of pain and mm-hmm. experience everything it had. Mm-hmm. And I... I'll say, I think one thing that happened to me was I kept my, and I, I've learned this now after I've kept, I kept a good mental attitude in there. I didn't think about miles. I stuck to my plan. I, I just let the miles accumulate until I got to about 74. And then it, I felt, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm three quarters of a mile, three quarters of the way through. And then it hit me that I had a full marathon to go. 
So that kind of knocked me back a little bit. And, and then when I re regrouped, I, I knew I had a shot at like 20, 21, maybe 22 hours at the most. And I started really getting focused on time and, and kind of pushing myself. I didn't have the patience to stick to my plan. I pushed myself a little too hard that I could have. And I paid the price because in 92, when my ankle blew up, I had to basically hoof it in for, for most of the last eight miles. Uh. It took me a while, the last eight miles, my ankle was just enormous. I thought there was a stress fracture. I was shocked it was not, when it, the swelling finally went down, I was happy. Did you roll you know, it? I didn't roll it. I what happened? Heard it. I think it was just accumulation of time. I think really what happened is the blister. I had such bad blisters on my right foot. I think I changed my stride mm -hmm. to maybe hit. So the the blisters were towards the inner part of my foot, mm. and I think I probably stepped, put more and more pressure on the outside, the outside. of my foot. Yep. And there was nothing in particular. I think it was just a ground and pound mm -hmm. as it was. But the race itself. Jason did an unbelievable job running it. Um, it was everything I expected. I had built this huge thing up in my head, and uh, it was everything I expected. The, the only thing that, that I would find disappointing is I had, when I run, I visualized, and I had visualized this great triumphant finish where <laughs> I came running in with a fist pump and, you know, arms raised high and uh it was more just like a broken body <laughs> walking over the finish line and you know we took a couple of pictures of it and, and i was just out of it i yeah i i thought i was gonna go down I, I, you know what the, the pain in my foot was so bad that it was almost like where you're gonna throw off from the pain mm, wow and uh it was hard to enjoy so if, if one thing i could do i would definitely rather finish up strong i'll be back there to finish that race the way i want to <laughs> that's all right man i mean it's it's almost a better story to tell if you're like limping across the finish line of, of your first hundred milers so it's it's cool yeah. man it's real cool that you know that's the funny thing about about ultra runners in, in general so um i my son had a, a soccer game that sunday so i finished saturday and i actually did make it, it was a sunday afternoon game so i made it so a couple of the parents are, you know, I talked to friends over and they're like, how was it? I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, you know, I was hobbling and my, you know, I'm all swollen. I'm like, my foot's blown up and I have four black toenails and, you know, I blisters and I can barely walk. Oh man, it was awesome. It was unbelievable. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so uh, you, you go through five minutes of telling everybody how what sucks and what pain you have and you wrap it up with oh it was unbelievable yeah, yeah. well that's what everyone wants to hear you know they're like how bad was it how bad was it but then <laughs> there's always a caveat to it like it was really awesome and i'm going to sign up for another one so hats off to you man um and you already signed up for your next 100 it sounds like too huh yeah yeah so i'm signed up for long haul 100 <laughs> looking forward to that i i would like to keep it you know at least two or three a year if i could do it as long yep. as i'm healthy enough to do it Good. I think it keeps me focused. I I love that distance. Mm -hmm. um, I love the challenge of it. It's just it's just awesome. I, I it speaks to me and and it, it really is. It's just super cool. Everyone there, anyone who's got the balls to to to, to go to that starting line is somebody special. And um, the connection you have with the people is just yeah untouchable. Yeah, there's something about trail running, man. I mean, I've said it a million times, but you know, I've I've done. Uh, triathlons and Ironmans years ago. And, you know, you would go, I, I'd go to these events by myself 
and do the event and barely talk to anybody and definitely not make any friends. Like everyone was just into like their bike splits and so focused on their $10,000 bikes. And I, it, it was just weird, man. And then, uh, you know, while I was training for an Ironman is kind of when I discovered trail running and that's when I just fell in love with it. And yeah, my very first, my very first ultra, it was a 38 mile run at nighttime, during a hundred mile run. So I was out there running with these hundred milers that I just looked up to and thought were just like gods, you know, and, uh, you know, came away from that race with like six new best friends that I'm still in contact with till, till today, you know, and it's just a, it's a cool, cool environment. And, uh, yeah, there's just something about it. Just something about being out there in the woods, suffering with each other. It, it, uh, it's very bonding. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. You're, you know, especially as you said, like going at night, your whole world is just this little orb yeah. <laughs> in front of you. You can see it. And to me, like trail running meant a lot too. As like a guy who grew up near the city, I was never really exposed to woods. So to go out there and, and face fears and, and not worry about animals and, and and just get over it, it, it does a lot for you. It makes it you does. constantly push yourself to do things you would never do. Yep. Yep. And that's what it's all about for, for guys like us, I think is just getting out there and doing stuff that you would have been totally scared of uh, a couple years ago. So, um, when, so backing up a little bit, um, and I'm just kind of going over your story again, did you start coaching right when you moved to South Carolina? Was that your, your first and only job right when you moved? Yeah. Um, well, I started doing it. I started doing it a little bit up North. So I went, I got my, I got my coaching license. Okay. Um, I had started it before COVID hit. Mm, okay. And and then once COVID hit, I was able to ramp it up and really just spent. I I didn't want to get involved where I was just sitting down watching TV every day. So mm-hmm. I set up a little office in my kitchen. I go in there with my laptop, paper. I study the test, you know, for almost like a work day, like a nine to five. Mm. Or, or actually, it started usually at noon. My kids had online school, and it was just at that part, it was just a mess. It was a, a shit show and you know, everyone was trying to figure out how to how to deal with this, especially in the area that we were in. We got hit so hard mm. and we didn't know, you know, we were afraid to leave the house. We didn't know if we were coming, going, which way. So I, I set up that. I studied, got my coaching license, um, didn't really pursue it. I helped out some friends um, that were looking to run. So I designed some programs for friends. I knew what worked for me from experience. I had the scientific knowledge now. And uh, I designed programs for a couple of friends. It worked for them. Then they worked. So I had this idea. The coaching kind of happened organically where I thought I could help people. I knew that I wanted the apparel part of it to start. But I thought if I could match it, the apparel with the coaching and help people, it would make, it would fulfill me, hopefully at one point, financially, soulfully, you know, and feed me every which way possible. Yeah. How fulfilling is it to you to help other people with coaching? Is that a big part of it? Yeah, it it is huge, especially. um, So what I do is uh, I love helping other people, obviously. And then I have a program through through my site that I offer free training for anybody with um, any type of mental health issue. Ah, sweet. If they, if they don't, if they don't have the money to pay for it, or if they just don't want to have the money to pay for it. If you email me and, and let me know that, listen, I'm struggling. I have, Mm-hmm. And this going, I'm more than happy to design a program for you and, and hopefully help you out. So it, it's, it's definitely 
important to me to help other people. That's cool. That's a great idea, man. I, I like that. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. There's so many people in the ultra running world that have, uh, you know, mental health struggles, addiction struggles. So they, it's weird. They kind of go hand in hand and, and running can be a really good medicine for, for any of those things. So um, that's really cool. What's your coaching style? Do you have one? Yeah, I would, I, everybody has their style and their mm-hmm. preference. So, so a couple of things that, that I do lean on is I'm not huge with, with changing, um, stride unless it's absolutely imperative unless you're doing something that's going to lead to injury okay i have this philosophy where um you know as a kid you just kind of start running Mm -hmm. and that's the way your body naturally wants to move so i'll have somebody send me a video of them running front back side side i'll take a look at it unless you know unless it's a competitive athlete who's looking to really shave seconds off then we'll address it and and talk about but if it's you know somebody who's a mid-packer and their form is not going to hurt them Mm-hmm. then I'll make minor switches, you know, switches here and there and, and, and help them up. But if that's the way they're comfortable, obviously I give them some pointers. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I, I believe in, I like speed work. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I had a lot of, um, pills, pills and speed work. What I'll do is, um, at least one day a week, I'll have my athletes do hills. Okay. Other, I'll rotate between hills and, and sprints. Yep. Do sprints. I'm a, not so much for, you know, some people are running a 5k then I'm not pushing, but like I have a, currently have a client who's eventually looking up to get to a hundred miles. He's building up. So I'm a big believer in uh back-to-back days on long miles. For sure. Not killing, but I believe that you have to run avoiding injury, of course, but you have to run on tired legs. You have to get used at some point that you are going to have to run when you're not feeling a hundred percent. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not comfortable. And I'm not looking to drive them into the ground but I'm also looking to get them used to, Hey, listen, there's going to be, you're going to be out there. If you want to run mm-hmm. even a marathon, you're not going to feel great the whole time. And you're going to have to learn to run through a little bit of pain. And you're going to, you know, if you do 13 miles one day, like I, so if someone's doing a marathon, I ideally at one point like them to do 13 one day and then on Saturday and then 13 on Sunday, okay. so it's 26 miles over a 24 mile, 24 hour period. But you know what? You have to get used to running on the, on tired legs. You, mm-hmm. It's gonna happen. You mm-hmm. have to get used to being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I try to encourage people to run in, no matter how bad the weather is. If it's mm-hmm. pouring outside, go out, do your training run. Listen, you're gonna have to. It happened to me again. It's a prime example. I ran down here all summer, and you know, South Carolina in the summer, you're gonna get rain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ran, and even up north through snow, I ran through some monsoons and everything running all types of uncomfortable weather get used to it you don't know what's coming race day yeah so if you pick and choose your battles and then you get out there and now it's 40 with a with a driving rain you, you're gonna not get used to it you, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep and I, I preach a lot of i'm sorry I, I preach a lot of mental toughness as well it's as much in your head as it is in your body that's just what I was going to say is that training is so good for, for the mental aspect too. I mean, you know, doing the 13 and the 13 miler in a 24 hour period, if you're training for a marathon, that gets you over a big mental hurdle, uh, going out, running in the rain, running in the snow, 
um, you know, running with a, a heavier pack than you normally would for your ultra race. All that stuff is good mental training as, as well as good physical training. Um, do you have your athletes doing cro- uh, like cross training, any strength training, stretching out? What do you, what do you prescribe there? So stretching, yeah, 100%. And okay. it took me a while to come around on stretching, but yes, 100% stretching. And I, in my program, I designed days where I, on the schedule, I'll put um, cross train just in there. It, it's up to them if they want to do it. I Obviously, I highly recommend that they, they do a, a ton of core work. I've started doing it myself the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's paid huge dividends yep. just in terms of posture. So yeah, I uh, absolutely encourage it. I, I believe in in designing the schedule, giving them schedule, but I also believe in putting the ball in their court overall. Like I can, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I can't do the run for you. So I try to hold people accountable without being on top of their throats, you know, where it's, I set the schedule and then I ask, did you do, you know, the running? They have my phone number. They have, we do a Zoom meeting every week. They can text me whenever they want. And, uh, and we talk and, and I feel like so many people at the beginning are, are scared and, and question you and they look for reasons not to do it. You know, whether it's my feet hurt, my shins hurt, especially new runners, um, this doesn't feel right. And, you know, we'll go over it and address it. Do you have, you know, before I even start with them, we go over footwear, what they should be wearing, you know, getting properly fitted for shoes. And, and then it's, you know, I try to put the responsibility on them that, listen, I, I'm going to give you the tools, but you have to go in and you have to put the work in. It, it mm-hmm. can't be, I, I can't hold your hand doing it. You have to, you have to be willing to, to sacrifice your time and, and, and really be committed to it. Yep. Yep. So how do you, how do you communicate with your clients? Do you, are you, is it mainly through text? You said you zoom with them once a week. And, um, and part two to that question is like, what if you give someone say, I'm just throwing a number out a 25 mile week, they're going to run 25 miles that week. And then they only come back with like 12 miles. How do you handle that? So the first part of your question, so they could communicate with me, whichever way they prefer. If it's, if it's a a client around our age or younger, it's usually Mm -hmm. through text. Mm -hmm. People just comfortable texting. If it's an older client, it's usually a phone call, whatever, whichever way makes you comfortable. I could do it either way. The second part is, so if I give you 25 and, and you're going to do 12, then on the weekly Zoom meeting, I, we reassess everything. You know, I give them a one-month block schedule. And then okay. within that block schedule, it allows for room to reassess and change. Nothing's written in stone. It's just, you know, we'll talk at the end of the week. Was this was this week too easy? Did you find it? Did you find this tough? And I'll analyze their their um miles and their numbers through Strava and, and other apps. And, you know, I check for cadence and, and how many steps they're taking. I have a certain number of steps per minute I'm looking for and we'll talk and we'll, I'll find out why they got to 12 miles. Is mm-hmm. there, you know, is it an injury thing? Did you just not feel like doing it? You know, were your kids sick? And, and from there I, I'll talk to them again and I'll give them the option. Of course they're free to do the option of, you want to repeat this week. We'll start over again. Repeat that. Mm-hmm. We can go ahead if that's what you want to do, or we can find something in the middle and kind of do a hybrid of last week and this week. And I'll put something together new for you. And I leave it up to them and how they're feeling. And a lot of it would depend on how, why they, they didn't do that. 
the 25 miles and, you know, explain to them, listen, there's a certain thing. I, I don't lecture people. I, I like to have a conversation. You know, it, it's no good if, if the athlete's not comfortable. Yeah. If he feels like you're talking to him. I like just having conversations with people, you know, shit happens. Life happens. It's For not, sure. you don't owe me an explanation. It's, you know, how, how do we solve this and, and where do you want to go moving forward? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, those are just some of the issues that I have with, you know, some of my, some of my clients and, um, you know, and it's a little bit easier when you have a client that has a race on the calendar, like this is the race I have on the calendar. I'm training for this. And then me personally, I build my schedules backwards from that race and start ramping up their miles towards that. But then if you have a client that, um, doesn't have anything on the schedule at all, you know, they're just, trying to stay in shape over the winter and then maybe they'll get to a race or two next year. Um, they start, I found that some of my clients start losing some of their motivation. Some of their miles go down. Do you have any secrets as far as like keeping clients motivated? Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, big thing I'm, I'm a believer in is, um, sign up for a race. And even if you're uncomfortable with it, post it on social media, Mm. tell everybody about it it holds you accountable. People start asking you about the race. It's, it's, it's a goal to shoot for And And I agree with you people that don't, I instruct everybody to find something, sign up for something, have a race mm-hmm. because I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it a bunch with COVID. So I had a bunch of people that were new runners and just coming from scratch. And, and some of them, uh, like you said, just wanted to get in shape and, and run and, and we'd work at, you know, they'd say, if I could do a 5K, I'd be happy. And, and I would get them to a 5K. And, you know, within probably six to eight weeks, depending on, you know, I'm talking people that were just not running at all. So it, they'd run the 5K on their own. And they had, they'd call me up and they had this great feeling. And, you know, they were happy and they wanted to move forward. And then as we moved into the next month of a block schedule, um, you just seen it go away. Mm. It dropped it dropped down like they reached that. And I understand what happens because it's happened, it happened with me after both marathons It's happened to me with other races that there's just like, you had worked this goal for a couple of weeks. And then when it comes, it comes crashing down, which was a big, a big reason I signed up for long haul 103 months after, after Yeti, because I knew take a week, lick my wounds, you know, get my shit back together and, mm-hmm. and let's go. Now it's time to, to start training again. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yep, I like it. Um, what but definitely hold you know put something out there. You have you have to you have to have yourself accountable if you don't think you can. Yep, for sure that makes sense. Um, so what I've been doing is I've been uh, writing up weekly training plans for my clients, and you said you do it monthly. What's the advantage to doing it monthly, or or is there any advantage? What's the difference there? there there's no advantage to it, and it's not written in stone. Sure, it probably could be done weekly. I mean, we talk every week and we make adjustments mm-hmm. accordingly on it. Um, for me, it's just the way I organize it. It mm-hmm. kind of gives them a big picture feel of like, you're going to start here and we're going to end here and we'll make this much progress through the month. It's almost like dangling a carrot in front of them. And, and you know, if, on day one, if they're running, whatever they're running, they know, all right, if I can do this and I can get to... 10 miles or, or whatever the case may be, especially with the newer clients that are newer to running. It, I do that to break up increments to try to give them small goals to get to. 
rather than, you know, if, if I can make them feel good about themselves and, and keep them motivated and give them little, little steps along the way, I found that it works better, but it could be done weekly too. It's just, for sure. just the way I do it. And, and it's always worked for me because okay. I've been doing this anyway in the short time that I've been doing it. And, and like I said, I've had people say like this week, I can't do it. I just, I, you asked me to do this hill 10 times. I can only do it four times. And, and to go back to another point, that that's an important part too, that I purposely put hard days that I know that they can't do mm. because I want them to, I want them to fail at some point. Okay. Just, just to get used to the being like, it's okay. This, you know what? I failed at this. I only did it four times. And then in three weeks, when they do it 10 times, they're like, oh, wow, this is just working. I can sweeter. only do this four times the other day. Mm-hmm. And now I can do this 10. Yeah. I mean, I'm not looking to crush them, but I want them to have a little bit of disappointment to, again, to motivate them mentally and see the progress that they made. If they only did it, the hill four times the week, you know, two weeks ago, and now they did it 10 times. They know, wow, this is working. Yep. Yep. As a coach, do you feel like you have to lead by example? Do you feel like you have to put yourself out there and run all these big races in order to get new clients or to show clients what you're doing? Is that part of it? Or is that a separate thing? Can it be both? (laughs) Sure. Sure. (laughs) I think, I think it's part, I, I think it's part of it. You get Listen, there's always ego involved, uh-huh. even even if you try not to be, you know, ego driven, which I don't think I am. But there's always ego involved. You you want to have some feathers in your cap to, mm-hmm. to, you know, if you if you're asking somebody or training somebody, and that, it's not necessarily true because you see guys in the pros in terms of football that never played co- football and they they coach the pros and they coach great. But for me, for running. To really identify if I'm training somebody for for a hundred mile race, I find it's beneficial for me to know exactly what they're doing because I've gone through it. Yep. I you know if if you know sometimes you're burnt out and you're doing those seventy eighty mile weeks and you're like you know I, I just don't feel it and and you know you you can tell them take two or three take four days off and and regroup and and you kind of know that they're going to be back and and you know what they've been through. Mm-hmm. So so part part of it is to show an example, but the bottom line is, you know, when I run a race, it's really for me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, do you have any like daily routines or anything that you personally do? Um, like things you do first thing in the morning or I make sure I run every single day or, or anything like that? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it always evolves. And of course with two kids and, and, and they're home now and, and the own by changes in my life, you have you have to make adjustments. But, but I, a big thing I've gotten out of the habit was I used to have my phone right next to me, and uh, you know, first day I wake up in the morning, check Twitter, check emails, check all this stuff, and um, before you know it, you just boom, you're you're off and running. Anxiety. That's running. that anxiety yeah. right there. Yeah. So I I've, I've made it a point to put put the phone away from the bed. I get up, I meditate, I use. Um, the waking up app, Sam Harris has an app that oh, cool. I use, to, uh, use 20 minutes of meditation in the morning. Oh, cool. And then uh, most days after that, I'll get up, just, just say good morning to my kids. And then depending on my running load, I'll go and, and start, start the day off with a good run mm-hmm. okay. and um, come back home and I'll, I'll be back home. At, I mean, listen, this sounds like the life of, of, of Riley right now because <laughs> of the way I schedule. I'll be back home by 11 or so 
well, you know, quick shower. And then I'm on the computer emailing people, Zooming people or whatever. And I, and I do that on, until I, I'm done. I'm probably still working as many hours as I ever did. But sure. I'm enjoying it. And it's uh, I'm around if I have to take a two-hour break during the day, I can take a two-hour break. Mm. But the, the constants in my life have become uh, good sleep. You know, again, with the phone, I, I, I'm bad with the phone. I'm trying to limit my use to it, but it's, it's hard. But at night, like now, I've been trying to leave it in a different room just so mm. I, don't, I don't go on it. Um, but the constants in my life are, are good sleep, uh, meditation, and running. Okay. And yeah. gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to bail here because I have to plug my computer in. Apparently, I'm, my battery's just about dead. But um, so I'm into meditation. I'm into other holistic things like um, holotropic breathing, cold showers, all that stuff. Is that something that you try and get your clients to do? Um, because for me, I felt like all that stuff is really beneficial, but it was beneficial for me. I know everyone's different, but if, if, if a client's interested, do you try and turn them on to meditation or anything like that? Yeah. If they, if they come to me, I, I won't overstep my bounds and say, you know, meditate, but if they, if they come to me and ask me what my thoughts are on it, a hundred percent recommend it. You know, I, I think it really, really helps a lot. You, and yet, to me, okay, sorry, man. Are you there? How, how do they want to go about it? And, you know, if somebody had recommended meditation to me four years ago, I would have laughed at them. Just like, <laughs> right. get the hell out of here. Like, That's you know, and, and to me, they have to be ready to do If they came to me and was like, I'm looking to meditate, would you recommend it? A hundred percent. But I wouldn't, a, a good thing, and I, I learned this a lot in therapy and I was guilty of it. And it, it's really helped me um, along the way is that I used to try to make people act the way I wanted them to act mm. in the sense of like, I built this version of a person in my head and I would start, whether it be my wife, my kids, my friends, and I try to push them in the direction I want, wanted them to go. And, uh, as the years have gone on, I'm, I've just been like, that's one, another lesson I've learned where I'm laid back and I'm like, all right, you know, this is who this person is. And I have to accept them the way they are. And if, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they piss me off and they don't do what I want them to do then you know what? Too bad. Like I have to deal with it, learn to deal with it. Yeah. So in that sense, I apply that to, you know, something else like right now, I'm, I'm you know, you asked about Yeti and I'm in such a driven phase of, of running and, and focus that um, other people may not, may not have that same drive or, mm -hmm. or may have other things going on. And I have to accept the fact that they're not me. Mm -hmm. They may, and they may be that driven in two years, but you know what, for now they're not. And, and we have to deal with it accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You got to meet that client, uh, sort of halfway, you know, everyone's coming from a, from a different spot. So that makes sense. Um, do you have any mentors or any books to recommend? Yeah. So I, as I said, I, you know, definitely I read the Dean Carnass's book. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everybody who's ever in the last 30 years is running, 
and also had that. Has read um, that, yeah. The, uh, the Jesse Itzler book. Uh, living with uh, the Seal? Living, w- living with the Seal is good, but Living with the Monks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Is the one, is the one that, that really, really got to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't believe I'm having a, a total brain fart escaping me. Um, the author is Victor Frankel, um, who was a Holocaust survivor. I think it's called the meaning. I don't want to get it wrong. I think it's called the meaning of life. I'll, I'll look it up, but it's it's a book about um, Victor Frankel, who who was in a concentration camp, and he talks about his the reason he was able to make it through it was that he was um, always found a meaning in life. So he found a purpose in the concentration camp. That that book I thought was was excellent. That that really resonated with me. Wow. Uh, Born to Run, I love. Yep, classic. He talks, you know, yeah, he talks about when he really talks about as Nike had set up the event and people that come from other countries, they realized that it was just um, the pure joy of running. That mm-hmm. to them it wasn't work. They were just they were just loving it. Yep. Well, those those are just a couple off the top of my head. That's cool. Do you listen to anything when you run books, podcasts, music, anything like that, or, or are you a, a no headphones guy? No, sometimes I sometimes I will. Sometimes okay. I'll go no headphones. Sure. Um, the last it's funny because my phone got so wet at Yeti it broke. So I ran <laughs> I ran Yeti with with um almost nothing but i have usually I'll, I'll split it up depending on the day but yeah definitely i always listen to something usually a podcast yeah. for the first for the first half of it as it, and then um music the second half i found mm-hmm. it goes quicker the first half and then if i need a little pick me up i'll go i'll go uh music yep. the second half but yep. yeah a ton of podcasts and yep. it's funny i drive my wife nuts because you know you listen to, to podcasts and and you know my podcast ranges from you know, Joe Rogan, like everybody else, to to serial killers, to, <laughs> to you know, different bands, and and I'm all over the gamut. So yep, same. Uh, yeah, you come home, and then I start blurting out facts. <laughs> my wife, did you know? And, and and you know, whether it's all this, and then I come home with these crazy ideas, like you know, I'll listen to Rich Roll sometimes, and yep. back home, like maybe we should go vegan. And then the next day, I listen, <laughs> you know, I listen to somebody on Rogan, and I'm like. We should just go strictly carnivore. Yeah, right. So, I'm all over the place with podcasts and music. Uh, the same thing. You know, it all depends on, on on what I'm into at the day. For sure. Yep, that makes sense. That's a but good pro it, tip. You know, not, not to not to cut you off. I apologize. Oh, the funny thing about the podcast and music is sometimes I find that I don't even realize I'm listening to it. It's kind of just background noise, yep. but I am retaining stuff as yeah subconsciously without even thinking about it. I, I apologize for cutting you off. No, no, you're good. Um, I was just going to say that's a good pro tip and, and something I usually t- tell my clients, um, especially if they're doing long races is if they do like headphones, listen to an audio book or a podcast for, you know, the first, well, probably go without headphones for the first X amount of miles, third of the third of the race, then listen to like an audio book or podcast. And then when they really need to kick it into gear and need some extra motivation and need some extra juice, um, play some music and, and have a special race playlist made up with just the stuff that's going to get you pumped up. Um, that's what I've always done. And it w- works really well for me. And I try and pass that, pass that one on. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I also tell them to um, my recommendation to anybody running a race is always put um, super slow music in the beginning. 
Oh, okay. Um, some type of balance because we have a, a natural instinct as that race comes in. You want to go out like a right, horse, yeah, you know, it's true. shoot right out of the gate and run. And I found through my own experience that if I put something, you know, calming and, and some balance or something in there, something real slow and mellow yep. and, and work your playlist into it from there. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I always have to like force myself to slow down in the beginning. And, you know, I'll stop to pee when I barely have to pee just to get my heart rate down and just to make myself kind of go chill in the beginning. Because at that point, yeah, you're so, so tapered, you're so ready, you've been dreaming about this race for so long, you just want to hit it hard. But yeah, man, makes sense. So what's next for you, man? I mean, you got a couple races on the calendar. Like, I'm curious, where do you see your business in, you know, five years, 10 years? You know, it's, it's funny. It, I talked to, and I, he's a friend of mine and, and helped me a lot with the business when I started. And, you know, I told him with my vision of it and, and he was like, you know, don't, don't get hung up on one idea because your, mm. your business may end up being something that you don't even know existed. And, and you know, he was a somewhat successful guy. So for me, in, in a perfect world, I'd like to obviously have the apparel line take off, not huge, but just enough that I can, I'm financially secure. I always wanted to, I always want to be the business, the face of the business, the, the, my attitude, I want it to always be reflected in the business, to always be, um, not be generic, to, to mm -hmm. be it, itself and and kind of be a little bit on the outside line. Obviously I want the coaching to, to take off. I want to help people. And what I've learned over the last couple of years too, is if I can find a, a nonprofit to work with and become an ambassador, mm. I would really like to incorporate some type of public speaking into it to help particularly people with, with uh, depression and anxiety and, and the benefits of running. And uh, I would kind of like to have this all in one giant, beautiful bubble that, that I have a three prong attack where it'd be coaching apparel and public speaking. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. And, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I can feed my family with it. I, you know, I, I don't need to make $10 million. If I did, that would be even better. But, <laughs> but the fact that I, the main purpose of this this business now is to give back to people yeah. and for me to come forward and, and, you know, to start speaking about this publicly, which has only been the last couple of months. And, you know, if I could connect with people, that's, that's really, hopefully as we get through COVID and restrictions um, and I'm finding more and more that I'm enjoying this, that I'm enjoying having a conversation with you. I'm enjoying talking to people. I think I have a pretty interesting story to tell. I, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. And if I could just speak to people, I think that definitely would be a heavy part of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Just keep getting your story out. You know, people are, are going to resonate with it. It's going to inspire people and um, you know, the right people will come along at the right time uh, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, you know, so just keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, yeah. Well, it's been awesome right. talking with you, man. It's been really cool. I appreciate you giving me a couple tips for our business and uh um, good luck on the upcoming races. Uh, I'm sure you're going to do well, but I'll be keeping an eye on you and I can't wait to hear about them. And, you know, after your next hundred, I'll have to have you back on again so I can hear all the gory details about that one. <laughs> uh, I'd be honored. Like, like I said, you know, thank you for having me on. I'm for humbled. Sure. You know, I, I know I've gone back and listened to some, a bunch of the episodes, the people that you have on are, mm -hmm. are 
you know, truly remarkable human beings. And, you know, as for me, I just want to show that, you know, as an everyday guy that it's never too late to change your past that, listen, you know, for 20 years, I was a stagehand in Manhattan, which was a, a world away from where I am now. But you know what, if you just determine that, and you're willing to make the sacrifice, I'm going to make the change. Like, I just want to reach out to people and go back to what you're saying about the business, just make them realize that there's other ways. You just have to keep working on yourself, keep exploring and just um, find something that makes you feel alive again. Mm-hmm. And when you find, when you find whatever it is that makes you feel alive, cling on to it. Don't, don't give a shit what anyone else has to say. Mm-hmm. Don't push everybody out. If people think you're nuts, just find what makes you happy, what makes you alive and figure out a way to make it work. Yep. That's it right there. Everybody's interests are going to be different. And, um, you know, people come from all sorts of different backgrounds, but, um, yeah, exactly. Find your interest and, and hit it hard, man. Um, figure, you know, figure out a way to, to do it harder than the next person. That's, that's what it is. I mean, do big things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do big things. Take a chance. Listen, if it doesn't work out, you know what? It doesn't work out. I'll go get a job doing something else, but you know what? I don't have that plan right now. I have to, you know, have no, I have no backup plan. That's the way for me to do it Mm -hmm. and just keep driving forward and, you know, work like your family depends on it, which they do. Yeah. But like you said, do big things. Don't be afraid. Listen, at the end of the day, we're we're all, you know, and I, my biggest fear used to be death and, and then it took a big thing to get over it. Like, what am I so afraid of? At the end of the day, we're all going to die. I, mm-hmm. I can't control it. But the only thing I can control is how I'm going to live from here on in. And you got to take chances. You, you can't just sit here and just wallow away in the monotony of life because mm-hmm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to wear you down eventually. It did to me anyway. I mean, I'm not telling everyone to go out and quit their job. If you have something that you love, do it. But if you're slowly dying day by day and, and you're miserable, then you've got to find a way to find something to breathe some life into you. Mm-hmm. Find your passion, whatever it is, find it and do it hard. Awesome. Well, Ron, it's been great talking with you, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, first mile sucks. Look them up. You got a website, right? Yeah. If I, if you don't mind. So yeah, no, first please. mile sucks. It's uh fmsrunning.com. Okay. There's uh, coaching options are on there. There's a bunch of apparel. We're dropping uh, some sweats, some more fall wear tomorrow. Oh, cool that be on there please check it out uh, you can also find me on uh, instagram at uh, fms running um, every monday morning i do like a two or three i always say two or three minutes ends up being like a four or five minute uh, video clip for uh, running tips so i mm. give tips about running and life every monday um, i post on there every day you can reach out to me there that's uh, fms running and uh i'm on youtube at first mile sucks running mm. and um facebook at fms running so check it out i'm easy to find all right. Make sure you get in touch with me and uh, buy some gear. That's so cool. Ron Maver, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, First ball sucks. It. Yes, keep doing what you're doing. Stay in touch, man. Uh, I'll be looking for you in the future. I want to hear uh, hear about some more adventures coming up. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Thank you All very right. much. I Sounds good. Me on. Absolutely. Talk soon, man. Bye. All right, bye. right that was ron maver first mile sucks running if you guys liked anything here please like write a review subscribe on youtube or donate a buck or two whatever you guys can do to support this podcast is hugely appreciated 
If you guys need anything to help you do big things, give me a shout at big-things-crewing.com. If you need a crew or pacers for your ultra or supported adventure, we got your back. Or if you need a coach, training plan, vitamins, supplements, we got you there too. This is a special deal just for Do Big Things listeners. I have ties to one of the biggest and baddest health supplement companies in the world. These vitamins and supplements are super high quality and I can get you whatever you need. Protein, branched chain amino acids, pre-workout, post-workout, rhodiola, uh, one of my new faves, CBD, super high quality energy drinks without all the crap in them. You guys name it. I'm bringing you the best stuff around to help you stay healthy and bring out the best version of yourselves. Big Things Crewing is here for you, and we want to help. Life is short. Do big things, baby.